and welcome to another episode at Focal Point. Today we're joined by Rob Sim. Mr. Sim is a managing partner of Europa Capital, which is a real estate investment manager operating throughout Europe. Europa has collectively raised around 13 real estate funds and committed to over 100 transactions totaling over 11 billion euros in over 20 countries. Prior to joining Europa, Mrs. Sim was an associate director at LaSalle Investment Management and started his career on the graduate program at JLL. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Great. And for those who sort of aren't as familiar with uh, the work that Europa does and the role, could you tell us a bit more about what you do on sort of a day-to-day basis and what the role of a managing partner um, at an investment firm like Europa does? Sure. So um, I've been managing partner at Europa for nearly two and a half years now. And I guess have a, you know, my career at Europa has evolved through every aspect of what we do, acquisition, asset management and fund management. Um, the joy of being the managing partner is you are ultimately responsible for, for everything that goes on within the business. So um, whilst you probably take a step back from the direct real estate activity, um, I continue to sit on the investment committees of all our products um, and take responsibility for the operations of the investment management business, which in large part is a lot of communication with our um, major shareholder, which is Mitsubishi Estates, who, who bought into our business over 10 years ago, um, and looking at the strategic um, growth for the business going forward. So a lot of the role is, um, yes, administrative, but also looking at how do we grow our our business plan um, over the next five to 10 years, um, looking at um, existing lines of business, but also new lines of business. That's really interesting. Um, so you said you've kind of been managing partner for two and a half years now. If I'm correct, you've been with Europa though since 2003. That's uh, correct. Could you tell us a bit more about your sort of your journey to Europa sort of with LaSalle and JLL and also sort of within Europa? Of course, yeah. So I am, I'm a bit of a, you know, I, was, I was very much a, a novice to real estate when I am, um, when I started in my career in 1988, I, I'd never moved house, I'd never heard of a chartered surveyor. And so I fell into it, you really by, by accident, I, um, I applied to one surveying firm which was Jones Lang Wooten as it was was known in those days um, and really I, I guess the, the industry resonated with me I'd studied economics and geography at St Andrews University um, little knowing that actually although it's a non-cognate degree course it actually has a lot of relevance in terms of the you know, the real estate industry and, and, and the built environment which um, I was a human geographer and, uh, and and therefore that that sort of I guess fortunate for me, my the interviewing process really picked up on a lot of what I'd been interested in doing, uh, notwithstanding the fact I had no experience at all of anything to do with with property. Um, so I, I guess my my journey through um, my real estate career has has, has probably been your know, traditional, albeit from a maybe a slightly unusual starting point. Um, you know, going through my qualifications at Jones Lang Wooten doing a, um, a regular um, you know, move around different departments through valuation and um, auctions and actually indeed fund management. And I guess my experience in Europe came out of spending five years in what was called the European investment team at Jones Lang LaSalle. 
um, really working with our um, offices around Europe um, in the you know, early 1990s um, through to the mid 1990s, and indeed included um, 18 months living and working in both Stockholm and Paris. So I, I guess I formed a, a network of colleagues and um, business associates through that experience. Um, came back to to the UK and uh, in the late 90s and worked at LaSalle Investment Management, which I suppose formed my um, desire to work in fund management. Um, I was I was I guess yeah, being honest, not a natural um, broker or, or salesman. I, I liked the I guess the transition of acquisition through asset management and, and I suppose delivering real estate performance, which the fund management world is is all about. So five years of that. Um, and I was keen, that was very much UK focus. I was keen to get back to doing more European work. And I was fortunate um, in 2003, Europa were looking for uh, an asset manager. Um, they were quite small in, uh, they'd been running for probably four or five years at, at that stage. So it was a, it, it was effectively a value add manager with one fund, um, about eight or nine employees. And I, I joined I suppose in the early days of um, pan-European you know, investment management, um, and 17 years later, I've I guess I've progressed through the asset management, running asset management for the business, taking on responsibility for um, a, a regional area which was Northern Europe, doing acquisitions, and became a, a partner in the business when Mitsubishi um, bought in in 2010. Um, and then effectively evolved into um, investment committee, um, key individual on some of our funds, and um, I guess have progressed as when our founders retired, um, stepped into the position of, of managing partner with um, you know, with the support and um, approval of my fellow partners. So I guess I have have them to thank for my uh, for my current position. Yeah, that's really interesting. What do you think were sort of the key lessons that you took from? working in, in LaSalle investment management, you sort of touched on you were kind of living in, in Paris and Stockholm. Um, how do you think that sort of role kind of prepared you in terms of maybe your experiences or the skills you developed? I think, I think a number of things, um, I think living and working abroad, um, whilst my language abilities are undeniably limited, uh, I think having a, an appreciation and an acceptance of Different cultures and different your working behaviors is, is really important, and that, and that's true. You know, frankly, as as an individual, you're not the same as your counterpart. And actually, having an appreciation of how people do things and your your way is not always the right way, and 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 being being able to you know, accommodate that and and have having some you know, flexibility or pragmatism in what you do, I think is. Is a is a, a thing I continue to learn, and and probably I'm generally quite an optimistic and and maybe sometimes too spontaneous a person, and sometimes you do need to step back, take your time, listen, and then consider, and then you move forward, and and therefore I think that's that's something that comes with you know, definitely um, having different roles, definitely probably living in different places, and um, but also it comes with with age and experience as well. Yeah, I think that'd be an important point. I'd agree with that. In terms of sort of on more of a business aspect, sort of Europa has a number of properties across Europe. How do you strike the balance between 
sort of developing sort of a local expertise that you need in real estate markets with also sort of the cross-border knowledge that you need to sort of operate at scale as an investment manager, as a large investment manager managing billions of pounds? It's a, it's a, it's a real challenge. And I suppose up until most you know, the last two or three years, we've really operated out of London with a network of local representatives. They're not employed by us, but we, we do a lot of repeat business with them um, over a number of funds over a number of years. And I think building up that relationship with those individuals has given us the ability to perhaps invest across a wider geography than, than some of our peer group. Um, yes, it has the challenge that they are not dedicated to you, but that also gives you the flexibility if, if, if your view is that a certain geography or sector is not something you want to invest in you right now or even over a, over a longer period of time, there is no your overhead cost or compulsion for you to do that. So um, I think there are, there are pros and cons. We have now on the back of um, growing um, other lines of business, we now have a, an office in Paris. We also have a, an administrative um, office in Luxembourg because um, the vast majority of our funds are structured through Luxembourg. And I think over time, as we build our, um, you know, our business as a multi-manager rather than purely being focused on value-add fund management, um, you will see us you know, grow maybe in one or two other places. I don't think we'll ever, you know, we're, we're not trying to have an office in 15 countries. I, I think, but having a footprint in the, you know, the, the, probably the, the two or three largest markets in, in Europe is a, is a sensible approach and, and something that you know, we are, we're looking at doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, this sort of might be sort of more sort of tangential from your sort of experience more generally, but there's sort of long been a criticism in the UK of sort of a lack of house building um, from private players. What space at all, if any, do you think there is for sort of government building in the real estate sector? It's, uh, I mean, I think the, you've got a perennial problem of an undersupply of, of residential accommodation in um, particularly in the affordable sector, with that's uh, affordable with a, a big and a, and a small A. I, I can't see at the moment um, you know, the government starting to you know, to build themselves. They've effectively delegated that to the housing associations and the you know, the, the, you know, the the regulated providers and and the, the private sector. Perhaps where. I mean, I see the the the, the bottleneck is the, you know, the the planning system, which everybody talks a lot about. That for whatever reason, it's not creating that that supply chain. It 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 seems to take an awful long time, and we have direct experience of 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 mm-hmm. both buying um, land which is not zoned for residential and taking it through that process, um, but looking at land which is very high up the priority list for local authorities, and this is generally southeast of England, as well as redeveloping brownfield within within london within the m25 and in both cases the challenges you face with local authorities they're unfortunately often they're elected members rather than their the planning officers it's it's just uh you're you're often walking on eggshells to try and achieve what you're trying to achieve even if you're trying to you get all the boxes ticked in terms of affordability quotas and design and all the rest of it there is just uh a nervousness about approving something which maybe offers a developer 
the ability to make a profit. And, and I, I think it's quite common across across Europe that there's this there's a nervousness about have we undersold or are we giving away too much? I'm talking about the local authorities. And that's a big challenge. And I think that's um, perhaps more collaboration on that. Perhaps the ability for um, local authorities to um, allow a lot of their, a lot of the buildings that they probably own and are underused or even redundant being repurposed into you know, residential or living space that um, can then maybe get transferred back to the local authorities, but they're they're paying an income stream. And so I think there are ways that we can we can do this, but I think the the challenge is enormous and. We've never got anywhere near. I can't remember if the, if the number is something like three hundred thousand new homes per per annum, and we're getting nowhere near it. Um, and it's very frustrating. We'd love we we do we do a lot in the residential space across Europe, um, and we'd love to do more. It, 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 I mean, I, I find it very frustrating when you get the media talking about developers sitting on land and watching it increase in value. I mean, I that may happen occasionally. It, it's, it's not happened to us. We've been sitting on land trying to get planning for six, seven, eight years. Yeah, that's not in our interest. That's not in the local authority's interest. It's not in people who are looking for housing. So you know, time is a great killer of that. And, and people just lose interest in it. And therefore, if it takes too long and it's too complicated, people just won't do it. So unfortunately, the, the problem is that you by making it very difficult, you create disincentives and, and therefore actually how do you incentivize people to you know, create affordable housing? Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's always going to be, and has been the challenge for you know, probably since the fifties. Yeah. It's really interesting actually. On sort of another point of kind of t- touching on affordable housing, um, ESG has sort of been kind of very much sort of growing into the forefront of people's discussion in the equity markets. How has it sort of translated into sort of the real estate market? Have you sort of seen over the last 10 years sort of like a, the affordable housing has sort of grown kind of quite significantly as sort of a, a sector sort of area within real estate? It, it's interesting. I think um, the property industry has has obviously had a massive focus on the 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 environmental the E of ESG for for a long long time and and I think the real estate industry has done a very good job at trying to measure and improve on environmental performance. Um, to your point about um, how much that has driven interest in affordable residential, um, I think it's coming. Um, that's more the social impact of. You know, of of how people invest, and I think the social impact has been way behind our in you know, the the environmental um, credentials that investors in real estate have have considered. And yeah, you know, I think Europa as a house has really started to focus on you know, the social impact, which which we include both charitable work, but educate you know, getting involved in education and mentoring and. You're running a scholarship for you know, real estate students at, at Sheffield Hallam and, and all of that, as well as your impact of what you do as an investment house in improving and regenerating areas. Um, I think there are, you know, whether you will there come you know, social impact funds which are specifically um, looking at affordable housing, very possibly. I think it's a really interesting area. 
it's trying to be able to do them at sufficient scale. You know, the economics of actually running a business like that makes makes sense. And getting scale in residential is is quite difficult in certainly in the UK. There is there is not a an enormous supply of standing residential investment. Most of the residential investment, either the, the, the private rented or socially rented housing sits within housing associations or still with a local authority or with multiple you know, private landlords. So it's, it's quite fragmented and quite small. And to make it efficient and um, manageable, you need more scale. So that's that's kind of the opportunity um, to do that. And some of the... you. Know, the, the the providers are doing that. You know, they are starting to go and buying um, large sites where there's a mixture of both private and you know, effectively affordable housing with a capital A that they can you know, they can they can run both. And I think it's important that they are. You know, um, so I, I do think that's an interesting area. But you, you need quite a lot of infrastructure and you need quite a lot of time because building a thousand. You know, units takes takes time as well, and and a lot of it doesn't exist yet. No, that's really interesting. And um, Europe sort of has, has obviously portfolio uh, around Europe, but also sort of properties in the UK, sort of Piccadilly Gardens and in, in Manchester is one of them. Has Brexit changed in any way the sort of a dynamic or, or the rationale for the way you look at investing in UK real estate? Um. So we have um, a number of different funds, um, some of which are only UK focused, um, student housing. Um, we have some debt funds, so we're a lender. That's just UK. Um, we have our value add fund, which is pan-European, including the UK. And then we have a core European fund, which is Europe, excluding the UK. And yeah, probably as largely as a result of Brexit, um, that... Your, your fund performance can be affected by your currency fluctuations. And certainly because the UK is such a big market and typically would make up a third of our, a pan-European fund that we would manage, um, we've continued to keep, keep it within the value-add fund series because we can pick and choose when we invest in the UK or not. So probably um, within our value-add funds, our, our exposure to the UK has reduced. Um, and that's partly a function of um, Brexit and our concern about the impact that's had on the UK economy and UK real estate. But we will we will invest within a, a, a euro-denominated fund in the UK. Um, in other areas, it's more likely that we would have UK-specific investment um, because it's either sector-specific um, or it's a separate account. And therefore, you, you, the challenge of currency hedging and the impact that has on returns is we're not currency specialists, we're real estate people. Um, and therefore, that's you know, that's something that we have, have looked to, to mitigate through um, through perhaps having a UK you know, specific um, products. And I think that's something we'll, we'll continue to look at. Um, I think the UK is always going to be attractive, but certainly the volumes have been uh, reduced. And also it's been reduced because there is quite a lot of change happening within the, the UK pension fund industry. So often you know, they've been quite large investors in, in the real estate market. There's been a lot, a lot of consolidation ongoing. There's been a lot of um, closing of some of the, the UK um, funds because of the rules around um, redemptions. So there's a number of factors in addition to, or maybe as a result of, of Brexit that have 
have created that reduction in investment volumes. But you know, London is still a global city, and and, and therefore the attraction of London um, and and a lot of the other major cities in the UK, I think, will continue. That's really interesting. Perhaps before we round off, you, you touched on kind of as part of your role as managing partners, looking for more, obviously towards the future of Europe in five, ten years. Where do you sort of see the growth of the company going forward? Are there areas sort of within in sort of different sectors within real estate that you'd sort of like to expand into? Or is it sort of more about sort of just keeping developing on the core competencies that the firm already has? I think it's always um, the challenge is always to make sure that you are respecting your existing investors with the products you're managing for them. We are. I guess custodians of their of their equity, and certainly over the next five to ten years, we want to grow our European core fund. It's it's getting up towards five hundred million. We, we we've got aspirations for that to you know double and or, or treble over, over time, and so that's a constant um, marketing um, with with you know, both the European and um, and international um, in, investors into that market. I mean, the themes we like at the moment, which is probably no great surprise to many, are you know, residential and industrial logistics. But we will see opportunities of um, buying into the strong office markets in, in due course. We're doing some of that with 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 our shareholder Mitsubishi at the moment in in dynamic, um, maybe tech based. Um, European cities where there's a, a, a strong university and educational culture. I think we'll look at expanding our residential investment, um, you know, whether that's dedicated funds or, or separate accounts. But as part of, um, we're part of a, a wider global group within Mitsubishi, which includes a, a US sort of sister company to ours and, and business in Asia. So it's exciting to be part of a, a global investment management business and actually trying to attract investors from different parts of the world. Traditionally, our investor base has been very North American, going back to the, the 90s. There are you know, significant you know, pension funds, life insurance businesses in, in Asia, which you know, we would like to work with in, in the European context. So certainly our focus will be Europe. Um, so it probably will be either specialist um, sectors or you know, opportunistic um, areas where we see and have the skill sets to, to, to develop that. Ge- you're generating you know, stable revenue streams is a really important part of our, our business and the nature of fund management, um, whether it's real estate or anything else, is that your AUM and your, your, your investment values do, do impact your, your revenue. So, so creating, alongside our value add, creating some more stabilized um, lower risk um, and and albeit lower return products is is really probably where our focus will be on. That's really interesting. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. I think that's probably got time for, but it's been very interesting to hear about your perspective on some of these issues and definitely hope to talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks very much indeed.